Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound after a long hiatus where I have moved country, moved home, (laughs) worn a lot of masks. It's been a whole trip, hasn't it? Thank you all for hanging around. This episode of How To Be Sound features one of my favourite chats actually with a very interesting and smart and talented woman, Charlotte Christensen, who you will hear chatting about her work and her life and her upcoming work and I will have all the links in the show notes to follow and support her and buy her work and I highly recommend that you do. If you don't already, you might consider supporting me on Patreon. That's on patreon.com slash McCabe. It helps pay for the production of this podcast and also helps support the other work that I'm doing in my writing online and off. And now here is the conversation. Today's guest is Charlotte Christensen, an illustrator, designer and author based in Dublin and also the woman whose work recently appeared on the cover of the Irish Times magazine on an issue dedicated to black Irish lives, something that has come up in Charlotte's work a lot. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary, for having me. You're so welcome. Tell me a bit about yourself. For starters, how did you end up in Dublin, of all places? (laughs) Um, It's quite a long story. I wasn't always in Dublin, actually. I was in Belfast before... Actually, no. Let's start from the beginning. It's very confusing. I came to Belfast when I was 15 with my family. And then they moved up to Dublin, moved down to Dublin at the time. Dubliners do like to say up, though. Move up to Dublin. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's so confusing because you're up in, du- in Belfast and you're going down. Yeah. So I always get those things confused. So they moved to Dublin then. And then I followed after I was done with my college there. So I was doing a diploma in art and design. And when I ended up in Dublin, I was here about three years and then I went to London to do a degree and I was kind of in a long distance relationship. So I was sort of flying back and forward between Dublin and London. And I've now been back in Dublin for the last, I think, five years now. So, yeah, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. <laughs> your accent definitely isn't Belfast or Dublin. So wh- wh- where is your family from originally? I'm originally from Denmark. So, yeah, a little, little tiny town in Denmark about like an hour away from Copenhagen. Oh, wow. Uh, haven't been there, haven't lived there since I was 15, though. So my accent's kind of, it's got a little little bit of everything in it, but there's still quite a Danish accent in there, too. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely hear the Dublin occasionally, but you can definitely hear the kind of, kind of Nordic influence as well. <laughs> Denmark is always getting touted as the happiest country in the world to live in. Have you ever been tempted to go back? I think only really when I just moved, you know, because you're 15 and you're going to a really different place and you're leaving all your friends behind. And it's very hard to kind of make friends again, especially as a teenager in a a class where everyone already knows each other. So I'd say the first year was very tough and I definitely wanted to go back. 
But then you kind of adapt very quick as a child too, you know. Honestly, now it's been 15, exactly 15 years since I left. I couldn't imagine myself going back now. It's just been too long. <laughs> yeah. And like, do you go back for holidays, vacations at all? Or do you do like, do you just do the same holidays and vacations that Irish people do? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I do because my family actually moved back to Denmark. Uh, oh, I think wow. my sister moved. Yeah, my sister moved back, I think, in 2011. And then my the rest of my family moved back in like t- 2012. So I've sort of been going back like twice a year to see them. That's been a bit hard, obviously, not having them here. It's just yeah, it's course. just me and my partner. But at the same time, it's something you just kind of, you kind of get used to it. It's it's strange. You sort of learn to live, like, away, having, like, a distant kind of... And maybe your relationship is even better with your family when you don't see them all the time. Yeah, I used to actually say that a lot, especially with my sister. Mm-hmm. She lived in the States. Well, I now live in the States too, but she's lived here for, I think, maybe 10 years. And I think our relationship really improved when yeah. we had a little bit of distance between us, although we were a bit younger as well when it first happened. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Have you been in the States for a long time now? Oh, well, I just arrived here on March 14th. So in the middle of COVID. So I've basically oh, arrived wow. at the worst possible time for anything. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bit unlucky, but I hope you're okay. I hope everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was going to be an interesting time because it's an election year, but now it's been kind of triply interesting because of all this. Tell me about when when you did your diploma in art and design, what were you hoping to do from there? Like, did you think you would go into illustration or did you have any ideas? Actually, it was all a bit, you know, up in the air. Like at the time, I didn't even see myself going and getting a degree. I know all my friends were sort of like, oh yeah, I'm doing graphic design, I'm doing photography. And I was just, at the time, I was really, really interested in like anime and manga and all I wanted to be do was like comics and I initially actually applied for university at that was like years back it was before I went to uni and it was kind of like a sequential art degree and I got accepted but the course got dropped so I ended up not going yeah it was all a little bit funny I was still living in Belfast when that happened so I decided okay I'm moving to Dublin and I'll see what I'll do with my life and I spent a year, like, not doing anything, really. I was kind of, like, a bit lost and confused about where to go. And then my mom finally kicked me in the ass and said, like, you, you need to get a job. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I worked for a few years. And then I sort of sorted myself out and realized I would actually like to do illustration. I think it was good. I, I'm happy I went to uni at a later age because I kind of had time to think about what I wanted to do. And I felt like, yeah, doing a sequential art kind of course might have been too restrictive and I wouldn't have learned about other stuff that I end up actually enjoying um so yeah that's kind of that's sort of what happened and what were you working at during those years that you kind of obeyed your mom and knuckled down <laughs> I was something completely different I was in IT oh, wow. I worked in uh, customer support and I was doing like a Danish support so I was working with Danish clients and it was kind of how I got the job was because I spoke the language so I was of like course. okay I will I will do this job for a bit, save some money up, which was also good, especially going to London and not having any savings would have been crazy. So it was actually, it kind of worked out in the end. And how did you find studying in London versus studying in Belfast? Did you find there was a big difference or did you like it or did you hate it? It was definitely different because Belfast is, is so tiny, you know, it's smaller mm. than Dublin. Actually, Dublin felt like a, a giant city when I moved here. And then London <laughs> was a, a, a massive step up, you know, it's like living in a little country. Every yeah. little part of London is like a little town on its own. So it was very overwhelming. It was also hard because I was in a long distance relationship. 
So, you know, we were separated for quite some time and we tried to sort of see each other twice a month. So that was tough. Um, mm. But I quickly, I quickly sort of found my feet there. I have some great friends in London and absolutely end up enjoying my time a lot. I really miss it at times. Just little corners yeah. of London that I used to go to a lot, like Brick Lane. It's just very arty and there's all these really yeah. cool galleries and shops and Campton as well. There's just places that I absolutely miss. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from a cultural point of view, London is so great because it's just got such a diversity of style and, you know, so many different things mm-hmm. to do in a way that, like, I don't like the rhetoric that says things like, there's nothing to do in Dublin except drink. But sometimes when I was in Dublin, I did feel that. You know what I mean? That you're like, it, cause, just oh, yeah, because it's yeah, small yeah. and you're like, there's, like, London just feels geographically so much bigger than Dublin, even though it's not really that much bigger. It's just so much denser. Oh, no, it's it's obviously, like, it's kind of got, it's got as good sides and bad sides. I, on one hand, you know, you have so much to pick from. But then there's also the question of money and time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It takes so long getting around London. So, yeah. like, maybe there's, like, ten different gallery shows you want to go to, but you have to pick one. And so, in a sense, like, having so much choice can be really overwhelming. And I kind yeah, of course. maybe like the Dublin sort of down to earth and there's, like, less to pick from and it's you know, let's hang out at the canal, you know. (laughs) I just want to do some very down-to-earth stuff. (laughs) How have you found working as an artist in Dublin? Because I know that's one of the things that often gets brought up, that Ireland isn't great for supporting the Mm. arts, isn't great for supporting illustrators. How how have you found it? I have definitely found it tricky. Like, I would say I haven't gotten a lot of work from Ireland. Most of my work has been from the States. Oh, wow. And that could obviously, there's obviously different reasons for that. I know that my style is quite something that they look for there. But I also think the topic that I tend to kind of represent, um, it's not really something that's talked a lot about in Ireland. Even though there is a black community, it's obviously much smaller. And I think there's just clients don't really think about those kind of issues here as much. So I definitely felt like there's been less work here for me. But I also think, yeah, in terms of support, um, I know that they recently, recently brought in like the job seekers allowance but it's like for like freelancers it's for like artists it's like an artist scheme but it's very messy and last year I was struggling a bit financially because I was working on my current book I took sort of a deal that wasn't really the best deal but I really wanted to do it because it was a creator-owned story and I had complete control over it which was amazing and but it didn't mean either you know taking loads of jobs on and not being able to stay on top of my deadlines or actually you know seek out some help and I found it was very very difficult getting that support even though it was there Mm. everyone was kind of like sending you to a different department no one wanted to tell you what you needed to do what documents they needed so I ended up just giving up on it um so that wasn't great that wasn't a great experience yeah I ended up getting a part-time job actually (laughs) I was just like I'm done yeah it's it's really tough and I think you read about and you see a lot of people going, oh, you know, I got help from this department or I, you know, applied for this grant. But I feel like almost as if the creative community in Ireland is divided in two people who know how to get funding and people who don't and will never know. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it almost feels like there's a barrier to entry. And like, if you don't know how to get in to this group of people who get funding, you will never get in. Oh, no, no, you're absolutely right. Like, I am very thankful that I, I know some, you know, artists here who kind of, like, have advised me on a lot of stuff that I can totally understand how you can really be in the dark when you don't know the right people mm. um, or, or someone who can help you out. Like, the tax exemption form is, like, a good example, 
because there's so many people who don't realize it's there mm-hmm. and that they can apply for it and they think oh I'm, I don't I don't I don't apply for it like I don't sort of like they think that their work doesn't fit the criteria yeah, that it doesn't qualify yeah and I actually just spoke to someone who's been an illustrator here for quite some years Alan Dunn I don't know if you know him oh yeah 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 I yeah know and through, he, through my friend Liam actually who would, would be very oh, interested yeah, in oh, the yeah. comic book scene yeah that's brilliant yeah he's been great he's been giving me so much advice like and he just told me just apply yeah just do this 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 and I was like oh okay so I did and I got it so like that's been obviously that was actually great getting that and then since then I've been telling all my friends like just apply for it you need it's just a bit of support and something you don't have to stress about yeah and that must take such a load off as well because I know as a freelancer in in any discipline kind of worrying about this tax bill that you'll have hanging over you at the end of the year can be crippling <laughs> oh oh my god yeah it was definitely a fear <laughs> yeah yeah you touched on the topics that you cover in your work and how they're kind of more of interest in the states maybe than they are in Ireland can you talk a little bit about that yeah so like my work a lot of my work is about representation of black people particularly and I just find that 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 sort of work is quite I think there's a lot of big communities in America and a lot more sort of like maybe black editors in like publishing or in in um, different platforms I, I know it's still very underrepresented there but mm-hmm. um I definitely think that that's kind of like where I got my first work it was just through Instagram someone just saw like a piece of work I'd done and just said oh yeah I really like that style and obviously the topic and everything so that's kind of how that happened but yeah most of my work has just been really about representation I think it all kind of started from the book that I made back in uni my black women in history book I think that was kind of where I started sort of looking at things I was passionate about and things I was good at which was drawing and I thought well why don't I combine the two and and why don't I fill a gap here because I felt like when it particularly comes to representation there wasn't much about women and I didn't really know any sort of acknowledged black women or women that had done some things in, in the past or in different sectors as well. So I wanted to do a book about it and I just got such positive response from it. I was actually really nervous. The first time I sold mm. it on a market was actually in Dublin. I was the scene fair that they used to have and I remember being really nervous about bringing this thing out back in 2015. And where no one was really talking about the movement, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And people weren't really talking about, like, you know, black representation and stuff that much. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, are people going to think I'm like some, you know, really intense person and I'm trying to, like, make them uncomfortable? I don't know. You know, I just had a lot of fears, but everyone was like, everyone was like really, really positive about it. And uh, we're just like, oh my God, I didn't know about these people. This is great. So, you know, I just felt like, wow, I just got to keep going. I just kind of keep, you know, bringing representation out there because it's helping people and it's educating people. And, you know, it's just just something I wish I had when I was a kid growing up as well. And it's also, I mean, it's such a gift in a way to be able to combine something that you're passionate about with something that you're talented at, you know, and that's, I think, something that's so special Mm -hmm. with art. And like, if that's something that you can make your living from, it's kind of incredible. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you think... Since 2015, even, do you think the, the level of representation has changed at all in Ireland? Like, do you see any improvement? In Ireland, oof, I feel like maybe this is, yeah, in some ways, there's definitely people talking more about issues that are happening here, particularly like direct provision and things like that. I definitely remember, like, back then, like, no one would even know what it was. And in recent years, mm. there's been more sort of like activism going on um, with obviously with the, the campaign for choice. And there was a lot of kind of highlights being done about the provision then and how black women are suffering in those systems. And so I feel like there's definitely been an awakening, but it's been like a slow awakening. And then obviously recently with George Floyd's death, it's just kind of exploded and it's like you're seeing all these people kind of like writing about Black Lives Matter and you know being interested in and actually learning about stuff that's happening in their own country mm-hmm. and that's just been like overwhelming yeah. and intense but also I'm seeing something positive come out of it even if it's very very long overdue yeah is it is it difficult I mean I feel as though basically it must be difficult to be a person of color and to see these conversations happening nonstop and kind of depictions of people of colour being harassed, being attacked. Like, is it something that's very draining? Or, I mean, obviously, we're kind of glad that people are talking about it. But is it difficult to bear witness to that for you? Yeah, that that's that's definitely been a really difficult thing. Like, I remember when it just happened, I was just getting all these messages from people I hadn't talked to in like years and it was a bit like what you know oh I'm here for you and if you need to talk and you know and I was just like you were constantly being reminded of our suffering you know it's something that we're already very aware of and it was kind of Mm. being put on big display and globally it wasn't even just in one country anymore it was sort of it was tripling into every media around the world almost and so it was a constant it was a constant thing you couldn't escape and as someone who is really aware of it and gets impacted by it a lot. Like I, me and my a lot of black folks that I know were just like, take a break from the internet. Like you just need to look after yourself, look after your mental health, just do something, put some anime on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, just take your mind off because it was really, really draining. I, I would definitely say it sort of kind of feels a bit more naturalized now. Like it, well, normalized now. Like it's not as intense, but that first two weeks was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I also feel as if probably kind of naturally, but there was so much pressure being put on people of color to talk about it and also to 
kind of utilize their own experiences as a form of grief porn, the kind of endless yeah. conversations of like, tell us when you were harassed yeah. in public. Yeah. That's really, really difficult, I think. Yeah, that's um that's actually a really big problem when it comes to the internet in general because I feel like if you met a person in per- like, you know, face to face, you probably wouldn't ask them these really insensitive questions. Mm-hmm. But I feel like on the internet there's a very there's a big tendency of sort of this you know, putting your whole life on display. Yeah. And people almost expect it and they want to consume it. And it does become kind of like a consumption that's sort of unhealthy and I think people forget boundaries. So yeah, I definitely felt that there was a pressure. I need to say something. I need to speak about this. Yeah. And uh, people are waiting to hear what I'm going to say. And that was really, that was that was too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a massive pressure to put on one person to kind of commodify their own experiences for a cause that, in essence, isn't their fault. You know. Yeah. Isn't your work to do, but then becomes your work. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. And another aspect that was difficult was that all of a sudden there was all these opportunities, you know, flooding our way. And I was getting so many emails being like, hey, do you want to be involved in this and this? But there was no time to kind of grief. There was no time mm-hmm. to sort of like, you know, you know, sort of reflect what's happened and like just giving yourself space because you felt like, oh, I have to take these opportunities. Maybe maybe it's going to blow over and then no one is going to hire you. So Mm. that was like another kind of pressure that was happening. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, of course, because you kind of get that like, you know, I'm I'm advocating for more representation of people of colour in these different spheres. So when someone comes and asks you to do it, of course, you want to say yes, but mm-hmm. then you're also going, this is a really stressful time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. God, it's, it's, it's all very complicated. So how did the, the front cover for the Irish Times, which was out, I think, last weekend, yeah. um, is an incredible piece of work. How did, how did that come about? Yeah, that was, um, God, I wonder how Rachel Collins got my contact details. I'm not sure, but I just remember seeing an email from her come in saying oh you know they really like my work they would really like me to do this cover and they mentioned obviously the people who were going to be part of it and I just thought oh my god this is this is really exciting I've never seen this in Ireland and this is a big you know thing and uh, it's almost like history to me <laughs> and yeah, um and it's just you know because it's a, it's the biggest news um paper as well and so to imagine having a feature literally centering on on black irish people and you know what what exactly they're going through here was just incredible it was really amazing to be part of it very emotional as well (laughs) so yeah that was just you know it was very it was a very short deadline it was very like i think like a week before it was supposed to launch and i was like oh my god i was juggling so many deadlines already but i just couldn't say no yeah of course and what has what has the feedback been like on that Oh wow, it's just been it's just been immense. I just remember the moment it was put out there, just seeing all the people like tagging me in and you know, just you know, saying it's an incredible um feature and that the cover is amazing and it was just really it just felt like oh wow I've done something good, I've put something good out there. And also just like black people living in Ireland seeing themselves just, you know, it was a big deal for them. And I did remember seeing some messages from them being like, Oh, I feel really emotional about this and and then I felt the emotional teared up because <laughs> I just knew how how important that that must have been that moment for them. I I think that particularly because I I come from a very similar sized population in Denmark with a very very little representation as well, and you know you live among just majority white people and you just never seen like a big national paper 
write about your experiences. It's just, yeah, yeah it's just incredible. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess it's it's been really interesting to watch in a way kind of because I used to work in Irish media and now I'm, I'm slightly removed from it obviously geographically mm. and kind of work-wise but it was really great to me to see how positively received it was and how many people talked about it because I feel like in Ireland we're we kind of have a tendency to talk about the things we're annoyed about yeah yeah more than to celebrate the wins and I thought this was such a great win and there was so much noise about it it was just yeah. really really wonderful to see and very different I think to kind of 10 years ago when I worked in Irish magazines and Irish newspapers, I think it would have been slightly different. Yeah, I can imagine. Even then, any stories about black Irish people, like you said, were about direct provision or they were about immigration. There was very little coverage of black Irish people living their lives as black Irish people in Ireland, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, no, completely. That's, yeah, that's that's another thing. It was just, I remember them being very sort of keen on like having something that felt very hopeful and you know something that was very positive for the cover and I think that I, I hope it translated that as that because I wanted something that felt very like looking towards the future you know something like positive and I think all the sort of issues and things that were covered and also just like you know the celebration of like achievements mm, of black mm. Irish people and that was just it was just great to see that really really great. Yeah it made a really nice difference to I think a lot of kind of grief porn that yeah. the media oh, yeah. can tend yeah. towards. Like it, it, it was a really nice, meaningful and, and positive, as you said, piece. Tell me about What We Don't Talk About. That's your graphic novel that is out this year, soon? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's been kind of pushed a lot, um, just with the whole cover and stuff. But uh, it's finally being printed and it's finally being shipped. And I believe it's being shipped this month. And it's going to be in the stores officially in August in, in Europe. And that's also here. And I think in September in, in the States. So, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, just to tell you a little bit about the story. So it's about an interracial couple, and they're called Fai and Adam. They've been together for about two years, but she's never met his parents. And they're finally set out to go on a trip to meet his parents. And during the trip, a lot of sort of uncomfortable stuff sort of comes up. And she realises that his parents are not the most tolerant people. There's a lot of kind of subtle racism that happens. And whenever she tries to address it with Adam, he kind of tries to sort of avoid the conversation because it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really want to address it. And so it kind of is a story about them sort of struggling, discussing these things and sort of being honest with each other. And she kind of starts to wonder, you know, if she can be with this person who's not willing to kind of... to sort of accept that she's she's different, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, she... Being with a black person is like, you know, it's not just like, you can't just ignore the colour, you know, you can't ignore that they they have different life experiences and that they're going to be perceived differently. And so it's kind of a story about that sort of internal kind of struggle in their relationship. Yeah, it kind of is reminding me of, I mean, not not the entire plot, I think, but the opening scenes of Jordan Peele's Get Out when oh, I still need to see that oh, oh, I'm the worst I'm the worst but yeah I, I need to watch that it's a, <laughs> it's a really fascinating film but kind of like that in the opening scenes there's a, there's a black guy and his white girlfriend and they're talking about going to meet her parents and he kind of goes like have you told them that I'm black and she's very casual and kind of dismissive going of course I have like it's not a big deal whereas he's obviously mm -hmm. going my lived experience is that it might be a big deal yeah yeah that's that's a really good point and I think as white people, we we often 
because because we assume like I assume that I'm not racist and so if somebody says mm. something about black people I almost have to stop and think okay their experience might not be the way I think about it you know that I'm going like of course this is the yeah. way it should be without actually stopping to go oh no that's not how how you experience life that, that like you walk through life differently to me because you're kind of forced to yeah no exactly yeah I think it's a very kind of it's very like you've done so subconsciously you know I mean it was very important mm. for me to not paint Adam as like an evil character because I think often when we see stories like this we see them as very black and white oh there's the bad guy mm. and there's the good person and in a lot of interracial uh, relationship films that I have watched, it's like them against their parents. And it's like they cut their parents off and then they're badly love and everything's fine. And it's like, it's not like that <laughs> at all. Mm. It's not, it's so much more complicated. I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm a product of an interracial relationship. My parents, like my dad is white and my mom is black. And I grew up seeing a lot of this subtle racism sometimes quite obvious from my grandmother and seeing how like sometimes my dad would just stay quiet because he didn't want to confront it and that was very mm. uncomfortable as a child you're confused because it it's like a reflection on you as well and of course, yeah, yeah. And, and I just like seeing how it was impacting my mom and it, it kind of also shaped the way I looked at myself so I sort of like I know how difficult it is like you know you love your parents and you don't want to you don't want to make them upset. So that's why a lot of times people just pretend, oh, or they'll just say, oh, they're just old, you know, they're just, you know, yeah, they just yeah. don't want to confront it because it is uncomfortable. It might mean that you're potentially causing a, a disruption in your relationship. And so I, I, I wanted to talk about how it was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I also think that kind of state of being in in the blurred lines between racism and something that doesn't exist, like racial neutrality or that doesn't exist for white people anyway, that's much more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be talking about the kind of insidious ways in which racism creeps into our lives because it's really easy to denounce somebody who is in the Ku Klux Klan or who is filmed on Facebook, you know, oh, yeah. throwing racial slurs at someone else. Absolutely. But it's more complicated and more realistic and more everyday. I think, you know, the conversations that we're not really having. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's it, really, yeah. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me after our uh, initial <laughs> technical difficulties. Oh, it happens, it happens. I'm happy we were, we were able to do it because this was a really nice conversation. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Oh, thank you. And tell me, how can people either get in touch with you or follow your work or support you? Oh, yeah. So I think the easiest way, like, I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And my username on all those platforms is at Z-O-L-W-I-A. It's actually pronounced as Shuvia. Most people say Salvia. <laughs> and yeah, so that's how most people can find me. And I also have a website on the charlottechristensen.com. And an art shop as well called the orangenestshop.com. Okay, wonderful. And I will share all of those links in the show notes. Thank you all for listening to How To Be Sound. I know I've been away for a while and I really appreciate you hanging around. If you would like to support me and the work that I do, you can pledge $4 a month at patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe. It's Rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac. And you'll get three or maybe four essays a week, three minimum. 
How To Be Sound is produced by Liam Garrity, whose own podcast, Meet Your Maker, you can listen to anywhere you get podcasts and you can check out the website meetyourmaker.ie. His latest episode features the true story of how Don Bluth ended up leaving Disney to open a animation studio in Dublin where All Dogs Go to Heaven was made the film that made me ball my head off and I had to be escorted from the Swan Cinema in Rathmines. The Stella. The Stella. The original Stella, because that's how old I am. Thank you all for listening and I will catch you all next time. How to Be Sound is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts, as is my podcast, Science Drops. You can find more great shows at thewarren.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.